Welcome to Learn Me Right with Maddie Archer. Thank you so much, Maddie, for being involved with our podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Maddie, can you start by telling us a little bit about your current role at QUT? For sure. So I'm a PhD candidate in ACLA, the Australian Centre for Health Law Research, where I work with some amazing colleagues and also do some research assistant work and teaching in the Faculty of Law at QUT. An all-round successful person, uh, Maddie. It is such an honour to have you on the pod. We've been begging her for ages, just for all of our listeners out there. We are honoured to have you here. I'm going to start off with some rapid-fire questions. What are your pronouns? He, her. Uh, What is your highlight of the year so far? Oh, it would be starting in my role as unit coordinator for this awesome unit, Healthcare Law and Ethics. I would have been honoured to be one of your students. You are amazing. Um, Mads, as the listeners will find out, is one of the most articulate people we know. So it would just be an honour. Now, what is your coffee order? It's a soy cap. Mm, Good choice. And (laughs) what would you sing at karaoke? It's definitely ABBA and it's probably Lay All Your Love on Me. (laughs) See, I think that would be the highlight of my year. (laughs) Thank you, Maddie. We look forward to hearing that song very soon. So (laughs) in terms of the substantive part of our podcast today, could you please tell us a little bit about your current research area in the end of life law team? Absolutely. So my area of research and the topic of my PhD is um, the assisted dying regulation system in Belgium um, with some comparative work with Australia. So at the moment, I'm doing interviews with health professionals um, in Belgium and their experiences with the system and how regulation is working in practice and how it guides their uh, assisted dying provision. Just to give, if it would be helpful, a little overview of of the system in Belgium. Um, So assisted dying or euthanasia, as it is known there, has been legal in Belgium since 2002. So it's one of the longest standing, um, I suppose, assisted dying systems internationally. And so much to learn, of course, from that jurisdiction in terms of the research that's been generated in that time. Um, We might look at improving that system, in fact, all of the systems, and also using that information to do comparative work with um, much newer assisted dying systems like that in Australia, for instance. So in Belgium, the sort of standard pathway to be eligible for euthanasia, um, a person has to request euthanasia and be in a medically futile situation resulting from a serious and incurable disorder caused by illness or accident. The condition must be one of constant and unbearable physical or mental suffering that can't be alleviated. Unlike in Australia, um, a person doesn't have to be terminally ill or at the end of life to access an assisted death. Um, But the legislation does impose sort of different requirements based on whether a person is or is not terminally ill. The process is definitely more stringent when the person isn't expected to die in the foreseeable future. Um, That includes when their disorder is purely psychological or psychiatric in nature, Um, like depression, for example. Another key distinction from the Australian legislation is that a person can make an advance request um, for assisted dying then make that at a time when they had capacity, um, but they have to meet all of the eligibility criteria as well in terms of having an incurable disorder. Um, And the triggering condition for that is when um, the person is in a permanent state of unconsciousness. Maybe a final distinction um, between the Belgian and Australian systems is that there's no age limit imposed by the Belgian um, assisted dying legislation. Minors are able to access an assisted death provided, again, 
um, significantly more serious legal criteria are met, like uh, parental consent, um, mandatory consultation with a child or adolescent psychologist. Um, obviously, the child has to display a level of decision-making capacity as well to show that they're um, yeah, competent to make decisions about the decision to have an assisted death. Wow, that is excellent. Um, thank you for that excellent summary of the, the Belgian legal landscape. Um, so from my knowledge of your PhD, you've been conducting some epic interviews with, is it health professionals? That's right, doctors and nurses. Excellent. So how many have you conducted and what are you um, finding based on those interviews? So I think we're currently up to 16, um, maybe 17 after tomorrow, which is cool. Um, I haven't um, finished data analysis, so all, all preliminary and lots of things are coming out and um, lots of things running around in my head at the moment, but just pulling out a couple of key points. Um, so in Belgium, uh, health professionals having conversations around voluntary assisted dying or assisted dying is not regulated. Um, it is in Australia. So in Belgium, that means that health professionals are free to have initiate um, discussions about assisted dying with their patients, um, obviously provided that within their clinical judgment, they think that that's an appropriate thing to do. Um, coming out of the interviews is that health professionals really appreciate that option. Um, they appreciate the ability to have a holistic end of life discussion that isn't um, I suppose, censored in a way from something that's perfectly legitimate um, and legal over there. No one that I've spoken to has given any indication that that's misused or, or abused. Um, and obviously they're using their clinical judgment and not going around suggesting it to people who won't be eligible or, or if it isn't something that they're wanting. Um, yeah, I raise that because relevant for, for Australia in particular, um, in some states like Victoria, there's sort of a prohibition on certain health professionals raising um, discussions, as, as you both know. Um, and in other states, it's regulated, even, even if to a lesser extent. So just something relevant from the Belgian um, yeah, data. That is so interesting, Maddie. And, and exactly as you say, there is that really strict prohibition in Victoria. And we've just had some research published, which suggests that patients do find that to be a problem and that it inhibits those kinds of conversations. So it's really interesting to see your research suggesting that we can really trust doctors and nurses to have these discussions appropriately. And that concern in Victoria that people might feel coerced into accessing it. Well, actually we have this evidence that you're collecting from Belgium to suggest we actually can trust these people to to do this in a really sensitive and appropriate way. So that's a fascinating finding. And I'll let you continue with your second point. Sorry. <laughs> well, no, it's such a great point, Ruthie. Um, and another thing coming out of the data that I think is really interesting, which, which touches on that, is that um, assisted dying having been legal in Belgium for so long, there's definitely a sense that discussions about not just assisted death, but also um, palliative care, advanced care planning, discussing one's preferences, um, options for end of life is just more normal um, it, it, less of a stigma less of a taboo and patients feel more comfortable doing so since sort of um, discussions about end of life have come up in the, in the law and regulation and so more normalized I suppose and doctors have have recognized that um, also relevant to Australia a couple of things um, maybe that are missing or difficult in the Belgian system that, that we can really look to and learn from um, so there isn't any mandatory training 
for, for doctors in Belgium who provide assisted dying. Um, there are sort of, um, there's a community organisation which has taken it upon itself to provide that service, which is reported really highly and that it's really useful. Um, but of course, not being mandatory, um, there's no guarantees with respect to sort of um, consistency of care and also optimising quality of care. So I think that that's something that doctors really report um, would be useful. Um, and similarly, um, unlike in Australia, there's no um, centralised care navigation service in Belgium. We have that in Australia, um, the VAD care navigators or, or similarly termed. Um, we don't know empirically the impacts that the lack of such a service has in Belgium, um, but health professionals have emphasised that sort of a centralised resource, I suppose, in terms of a place that might provide information about bad for patients or, or health professionals would be would be useful. Um, so definitely something that maybe Australia has gotten right. So um, these are all really interesting. Um, I do have a question about how you talked about the Belgian culture around deaf literacy being quite normalised and there's, you know, no stigma around um, that discussing end of life options and care um, and then you also mentioned that one of your findings was that doctors being able to raise this and initiate this with patients worked really well. So do you think that culture, though, um, that is unique to, to Belgium around, you know, normalisation of deaf literacy is um, sort of important in making sure that initiations with discussions seem to be quite normalised and quite um, uh, defensible in a way? That's a really good question, Shane. I think that, um, yeah, there are a lot of differences between the Australian and Belgian context. So um, just an interesting one is that the Belgians are comfortable with using the term euthanasia, that um, Australians are not. Um, and I think that that might reflect some level of um, the physician really being at the sort of the controlling force in the process, um, maybe an, an aspect of, of a longstanding sort of paternalistic idea of the of the doctor in the in the process that Australia doesn't have and that real focus on autonomy, not to say that that's not uh, sort of the centre of the Belgian system as well. But I definitely think that there's a greater level of comfort discussing death and dying in the in the Belgian system. But who's to say that that was the case before the enactment of the law. 2002 was, you know, over 20 years ago. Mm. I wonder what things were like prior to then and, and whether in 20 years Australia will, will be that way. Um, an excellent question. I wish I had more insights. Yeah, that's interesting because we know that sometimes the law follows cultural change, but sometimes mm. the law has to drive cultural change. And we have discussed this on podcasts with Jodie Rutherford about um, we don't really have deaf literacy here in Australia. So potentially allowing doctors to normalise the discussion of assisted dying alongside many other valid options like palliative care. Um, would start to normalise death literacy in Australia, which seems to be really important, something that, we, that we're that we missing here. Such a good point. And I definitely think that, um, you know, I, I'm picking on Victoria a little here and, and certainly no, um, no shade on the Victorian system because they came first. So that's such a hard thing to do. But in terms of that prohibition on raising discussions, I, I, don't, I don't think that that contributes to an air of um, free discussions about death and dying and voluntary assisted dying. In fact, the opposite may be contributing a little bit towards, you know, the hesitance in those discussions. So I, I definitely think you're, you're onto something there. And if it helps, some members of the team are in the process of writing a paper on this exact issue. So hopefully that will be released soon. We'll put that up 
on our website or our Twitter at, um, when that comes out. So mm. very good point. Excellent. Excellent. I look forward to it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so you, you made a really good point, Maddie, that we can learn from each other, each jurisdiction. So Australia can learn from Belgium. Belgium can also learn from Australia. In terms of being in Australia and thinking about what we could take from the Belgian system and how we might do that, do you have any insights or reflections on sort of government or law or other regulatory solutions to sort of evolving this voluntary assisted dying system that we have created here? Such a good question, Ruthie. Um, certainly Australia has taken one approach. There are others um, more, more and less similar. Um, Belgium is one of them. There certainly might be issues that arise down the track for the Australian systems to grapple with. Um, things like advanced requests, um, eligibility for minors, um, eligibility for people whose request is motivated by mental illness, um, as well as perhaps other things that the Belgian system hasn't grappled with. Um, uh, Australia probably isn't at this point just yet. Um, I suppose the focus at this point given the systems are so early, might be on improving the, the sort of the legislative models that have been passed and that are currently operating. Um, but there certainly is research to look to if that ever is on the political agenda or if there is appetite for that, which is good news um, because we know that decision-making about VAB should be evidence-based and, and there is that evidence base there. Um, I, I suppose in terms of how the Belgian system sort of... Um, developed over time. A lot of the things that aren't in the Australian law already were in the Belgian law at the time of its initial legalisation. But uh, one thing that wasn't um, was eligibility for minors, um, sort of no age limit included in the law. That um, was an ad sort of an advancement that happened 12 years after the Belgian law had passed. So quite a bit of, yeah, I think thinking time and, and time for that to be on the political agenda. I think that that development arose partially out of um, obviously some community pressures. So um, some doctors working in paediatric palliative care that sort of popped this on the on the agenda um, and sort of they were raising the issue that if minors were um, competent to consent to or refuse other kinds of medical treatment and that was enshrined in other legislation, um, it would be, I suppose, discriminatory um, to exclude them from euthanasia or, or VAD. Um, we, and we did see that the law changed to reflect that, but we do know that there are more stringent conditions for minors to be eligible. So I suppose community expectations did factor in on top of that point about reducing discrimination. So a bit of a, a point there about things needing to come from the community, but also um, we, we really need to balance the principles and values that underpin things with what the what community is comfortable with, I suppose. Um, particularly relevant for us in Australia at the moment because, um, Ruthie, you mentioned the other day when we were chatting about the podcast, the ACT's potential law um, and discussions about including eligibility for minors as young as 14. So potentially, um, I don't know if that's going to be passed or not, but certainly there's Belgian evidence um, and research to look to there to assist, to decide, um, help the ACT decide if that's something that they want to do. That's so interesting. Um, I love the from two examples that you've given around the um, 
uh, the eligibility around um, minors and how you know we the Belgium has allowed minors but has increased you know safe safeguards to protect them and same with um, those who aren't you know uh, going to die in the foreseeable future um, that yes they've allowed them but also you know put in more safeguards and I think that's a really interesting lesson um, for Australia is that you know if we're concerned about you know a particular problem from like an ethical perspective to look for ways to compromise so that everyone wins and so I for me that's one of the lessons that I've drawn from your research talking today but do you have any other things that like the individual could know or could um you know you've talked a bit about advocacy um you know something potentially that they could do to help in your particular research space well recognizing that Belgium is a long way away I think that's something that people possibly could take away is just that um, maybe there shouldn't be any fear or, or stigma around looking to jurisdictions that are considered perhaps more liberal. I, I think that that's a pretty fair statement that the Belgian system is more liberal than the pretty conservative Australian approach. Um, and just looking to how those international jurisdictions do, do, do things doesn't mean that A, they're things we should do, B, um, they're things we want to do. So, um, there's utility in in looking at and learning from, um, but there shouldn't be any stigma or, or fear around what they do or, or its appropriateness here. Um, I don't think that there's yet an ideal or optimal model, and especially because um, each jurisdiction is going to have a different idea of, of what that is. It has to be context specific. It has to be specific to the medical, cultural, historical, legal, political, social context. Um, and so yeah, I, th I think that maybe in terms of the media and, and things that get spoken about, maybe the Canadian system at the moment, the Belgian as well, um, maybe just to have your critical lens on, um, look at what we can learn rather than what's scary or looks to be maybe done done wrong in, in your view. So um, keeping an open mind and, and learning. That was such an amazing takeaway. I think that's absolutely so right. And and the, and some of my research is in Canada, as you just flagged, and that is definitely a contested area at the moment. There's a lot of information coming out, um, and I think that that is a really good takeaway message. Uh, in that context and in all contexts, I think it's always important to be open, willing to learn. So. Thank you. That was excellent. Really appreciate hearing about Belgium and what we can learn. So thank you, Maddie. That was brilliant, Maddie. Um, I loved hearing about your very, um, uh, what's the word for when you're like balanced? <laughs> the word is balanced that I was looking for. Very balanced perspective, um, which I think is really important in these really um, normatively divisive contexts. So thank you so much also for taking the time out of your day and chatting to us. We have so loved having you on here. Um, with that, enjoy the rest of your day. And thank you to our listeners for listening into another one of our VAD spin-off series.